So do you know the strange feeling of being a foreigner in a country that's not your homeland? Do you know what that feels like, some of you? Have you ever been a foreigner in a country that's not your homeland? What's that? Yes, uh, you bet. I've had that experience. Back in 1998, our family immigrated from California here to Canada. And when I got here, uh, things look a lot similar, but I realized I wasn't quite the same. I didn't know a lot of things that people around me knew. I didn't know anything about Tim Hortons or Canadian Tire or Hockey Night in Canada. I didn't know who Don Cherry was. I didn't, there was a whole host of things I didn't know. And people could tell that I wasn't one of them. When I started preaching, I tried to translate miles into kilometers in my message. But even then, people would come up to me afterwards and say, are you from America? <laughs> Somehow it just oozed out. They, they could tell. You know, you may have never traveled to another country. You may have never moved or lived in another country. Some of you have. But even if you've always been in Canada, if you're a Christian, the Bible says you know what it feels like to be, in a, to be a foreigner in a land that's not your homeland. The Bible says that. The Bible says if you're a Christian, all your time on earth, you are a foreigner. You are a stranger and an exile. And you're headed for your true homeland, but you're not home yet. And the Bible says that when you begin to understand that, when that sinks in, that that's the case for you, it'll change the way you live. We're in a series here on Tuesdays called Living with a Long Look. And the goal of the series is to help us live on earth with an eye towards heaven. Today we're going to talk about how to live on earth as a foreigner who's longing for a homeland. Today I want to take you to a fascinating passage that shows you what does it look like to live like a foreigner what does that mean in spiritual terms? And why does it matter? Like, why is this a big deal? Why does God say it's very important to him that you and I, if we're Christians, live like foreigners while we're here, even if Canada is your home and native land? To do that, I want to invite you to go with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 9 through 16 today. I want to talk to you about what I'm calling foreigner faith. How to have the faith to live like a foreigner all your time on earth. We're going to do that, verses 9 through 16 of Hebrews 11. Let me pray for our time in Scripture, and then we'll look at it together. Father, we are thankful uh, that we live in Canada. And though I cannot sing my home and native land, I can tell you I'm really thankful to be in this land. So many good things about it. Many, many challenges for sure, but so many blessings come to us just because we live here. But Father, today I'm asking that you would help me and help all of us to see that this is not home. We're not home yet. And help us to live that way, I pray, by faith. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Listen as the writer of the Hebrews begins in verse 9. Speaking of Abram and Sarah, says, by faith, he, this is Abram, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised 
Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. These verses talk to you about what it was like for Abram and Sarah to live as foreigners by faith. And it's included in Hebrews 11, which is kind of the hall of fame or the hall of faith for the Old Testament believer. It's included there to show us what does it mean to live by faith. We are to look to them and say, here's an example of some things that I need to do. And specifically today, we're going to learn what does it look like to live as a foreigner what does foreigner faith look like in your life and mine? I want to draw out several things, really just two things from the text that we read that I want to highlight for you and then kind of apply. First one is simply this. Here's my first takeaway from these verses. Foreigner faith anticipates a heavenly homeland. The hallmark of foreigner faith, one of the ways you can tell if you have foreigner faith is yet you have an anticipation you have an eager expectation that there's a better land coming. Foreigner faith anticipates this heavenly homeland. It knows that wherever it's living, it's not really home. It may love where it's living, but it anticipates a better homeland, a heavenly homeland. Foreigner faith anticipates this heavenly homeland. That's what Abraham and Sarah did. Verse 9 says, he went out to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. So Abraham, you know the story from Genesis. He, he uproots at God's command, leaves the Ur of the Chaldees, and goes to, he goes west and ends up in Canaan. And the Lord says, this is the land. I promised you a land, you're here. But Abraham, even when he got there, realized this wasn't really the goal. There was something better. That's why verse 16 says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. See, even when Abraham got to Canaan, the land of promise, he knew he never fit in. He never really owned property other than the burial site for his wife. He didn't, he didn't look and live like the people around him. He worshiped a different God than the people around him. He had different values. That's why in verse 13, it says he would acknowledge that he was a stranger and an exile. Abraham knew he was a foreigner. He lived like a foreigner even while in the promised land. Now, I can tell you that's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to be and live like a foreigner. The first time I ever found that out, way before we ever moved to Canada, was when I was a university student. I spent a summer in Tokyo, Japan, teaching ESL, English as a Second Language. And I spent, I think we were there for 10 weeks, so it was a good long stint. And the whole time, I felt like and looked like and knew I was a foreigner. Like I was, for one thing, I was like head and shoulders taller than anybody else. I would get on the train and I could see over everything. Everyone else was about down here and they all looked up at me. 
I was the only pasty white guy around. You know, everyone else looked at me and thought, you don't look like us. I remember one time I took some of my students bowling. So we get to the bowling alley, and uh, we all go up to get our shoes. You know how you have to get those special shoes. So they ask each person what size shoes, and they're all getting their shoes. And they come to me, and they say, what size shoes? And I say, 10 and a half. And the guy behind the counter just goes, like, do they make shoes that big? <laughs> I guess my feet were bigger than anyone else. They go in the back room, and after a while, they came out and said, would this pair work? I just didn't fit in. Everywhere I went, the little kids wanted to touch my nose because my nose compared to the noses around me seemed like it was way out there. So the little children would come up and they would touch my nose and then they would say, gaijin, gaijin. I'd hear that all the time, gaijin. Finally, I figured out what gaijin mean. You know what it means? Foreigner. All the little kids, gaijin, gaijin. I spent the whole summer knowing I was a gaijin. I knew it. But you know, way before I went to Japan, I was a gaijin. The Bible says that when I became a Christian, I became a foreigner to earth. Even though I'd never left my homeland, the land I was born in, I was already a foreigner. Listen to this verse from 1 Peter 2.11. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, he says, I'm writing to all you believers as sojourners and exiles. In other words, if you're a Christian, you just don't fit in. You'll never fully fit in if you're living for Christ. You'll always feel a little out of step with your culture. Here, you will be waging war against the passions that war against your soul. Other people in your society are like, they're, they're fine with those passions. They're fine with going with those. But you're as a Christian going, no, no, actually, I'm, I'm not fine with that. And it's going to set you apart and you're going to feel different. You're going to feel like a stranger and an exile. That's not always an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to feel like you're a foreigner but foreigner faith comes to grips with the fact that I will never fully fit into my culture, even if I was born here, because I don't belong here. There's a homeland waiting for me. In fact, foreigner faith admits that it's a stranger in exile, but it starts anticipating a better country, a better homeland. That's exactly what Abram and Sarah did. Look back at our text Verse 13 says, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Now look at verse 14. For people who speak thus, in other words, who say, I'm a stranger and exile, people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Like when you say I'm a foreigner, it's implicitly saying, I'm looking for home. This isn't it, but I'm looking for home. Verse 15 says, Abraham and Sarah knew home wasn't where they came from. It wasn't Ur of the Chaldees. Look at verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So for Abraham and Sarah, when they say, I'm looking for a homeland, and it's not where I came from. And then verse 16 says, it's not even where I am now. When they were in the promised land, they still weren't home. Verse 16 says, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. You know, when you read through the book of Genesis and you see Abraham and Sarah's life, they didn't have a terrible life. They had some tough times. Everyone does. But they had kind of a good life in Canaan. They became rich. 
They had flocks and herds. They had 300 trained servants. I mean, they kind of had it. They were living large, but they wanted more. It says there in verse 16, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. And I think that's the way it is for a lot of us. We love living where we live. Many of us have it pretty good. We're like Abraham. And I hope we're like him in that we long for something better. But here's what I found. When life is pretty good, it's easy to think this is all you need. It's easy to stop anticipating something better. It's easy to think this is my home rather than I'm headed towards my home. A lot of Christians have a hard time anticipating a heavenly homeland. That may be you. You may be thinking, that just seems fuzzy and far away to me. Back in the 1970s, late 1970s, a movie came out called Heaven Can Wait. And I've never seen the movie, but I saw a little bit of the promo of it. It's about this guy named Joe Pendleton. And Joe Pendleton was trying out to be a quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. But some over-eager angel called him up to heaven too early, right? So Joe Pendleton is trying to make the NFL, but he gets yanked up to heaven. And you can see from the picture, he's none too happy about it. He's got his wings. That's Hollywood's vision of heaven, I guess. You look the same, but you got wings. He's got his wings, but he's downcast, right? He's looking at his clock. And the movie is called Heaven Can Wait because Joe Pendleton wants to get back to real life. And so they let him go back to earth and try to make his spot on the Rams because evidently heaven wasn't so great. Wasn't nearly as good as being a quarterback in the NFL. There's a lot of Christians that live like Joe Pendleton. We kind of think, well, heaven, eh, okay, it can wait. Because there's stuff that I'd really like here on earth. So here's my question for you. How do you build anticipation for heaven when you've never seen it? Like if you say foreigner faith anticipates a heavenly holy land, how do you build anticipation when you say, well, it's hard for me to feel that way. I see what's all around me. I like what's all around me. How am I supposed to have anticipation for what's coming when I've never seen it? Well, our text gives you the answer. If you look back at verse 9, you do it by faith, by faith. That's the big theme in Hebrews 11, right? By faith. Look at verse 9. By faith he went out to live in the land of promise. By faith, look at verse 13, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. How do you build anticipation for heaven? You do it by faith. Let me tell you about a guy who did that really well. Back in the 17th century, there was a Puritan pastor. Actually, he wasn't a pastor yet. He was a young man, probably your age for many of you college students. His name was Richard Baxter. And when he was a fairly young man, he was diagnosed with a disease that they told him would be terminal. So he was essentially told, there's nothing medically we can do for you. It's probably not going to be too long on the earth. So he was a Christian man. So he decided, well, I'm going to be headed to heaven sooner than I thought I would, so I better get ready. So he began to do something every day. He would take a text of, from the scripture that talked about heaven, and he would do three things with it. He would ponder it, so he'd think about it, like just spend some time just thinking about it. And then he would preach it to himself. 
Like there was no audience, no congregation, but he would ponder it. Then he would preach it. He'd say to his own soul, hang on to this, believe this. And then the third thing he would do after he pondered it and he preached it, he would pray about it. He would ask God to make that text more real in his life. And he began to take time every day to carve out a little time in the midst of all that was going on in his life. And he would ponder and preach and pray about heaven. Funny thing happened. He got better. He didn't die like they said he would. In fact, he lived to be in his mid-70s. So he lived another 50 years. But this is the amazing thing to me. He decided that it was so beneficial for him to take some time every day to ponder, preach, and pray about heaven that he started a habit that he kept up for the rest of his life. And he, he would commend that habit to other people. He'd say, this will help you. This will get your heart fixed on heaven. Take a passage of scripture and ponder it a bit. Preach about it and pray about it. Now, I can't say I've been as faithful as Richard Baxter, but there are times when I do just that. Last week, I preached to you on the passage from Ephesians 2.7. says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this week, I thought, well, that's a good passage. So there were times when I would just, whether I was laying in bed before I went to sleep or just on other times, I would sit and I would ponder that. So in the ages to come, my lifetime is measured in ages. I let that sink in. And in those ages, God is going to show me the riches, the immeasurable riches of his grace. I wonder what that's like. Like every day, something new of his grace. And it all comes to me because of Christ Jesus. So I would ponder it and then preach to my own soul. Come on, Rick, you know this. Hang on to this. Don't get so downcast about other stuff. Look what's coming for you. Listen to what God has promised you. Believe his promises. I'd ponder, I'd preach it, and then pray it. Lord, would you help make this more real to me? Sometimes I don't feel it, and sometimes I don't see it. But the Bible says it, and Jesus promised it, and it's true. You see, the way you build anticipation for what's coming is to ponder, preach, and pray it. You do it by faith. See, foreigner faith anticipates a heavenly homeland. You say to me, okay, I get that. But here's my question. Why is this a big deal? Why can't I just live on earth like everyone lives on earth, and then when I die, heaven will be great? Why do I need to anticipate it now? Why do I need to start thinking about heaven when I'm still 19 years old? Why don't I wait till I'm 75 or 80? Why do I anticipate this now? And the text gives you an answer. And that's the second thing I want you to see. First thing is that foreigner faith anticipates a heavenly homeland. Now at the end of verse 16, here's the second thing. This is why it matters. I'm going to say it in a way that to me is a bit jarring, but I think it's true. I'll show it to you from the text. Second thing is this. Foreigner faith is not an embarrassment to God. Like, if you do this, you won't embarrass God. You say, where do you get that? Well, look at verse 16, especially the end. It says, therefore, therefore, in the fact that they long for a better country, a heavenly one, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
Because they live with this, this idea that I'm an exile, I'm a stranger, because they anticipate a heavenly homeland, therefore, verse 16 says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Flip that around. The opposite side would say this. It's possible that God could be ashamed to be called someone's God. God could be ashamed to say, yeah, that's one of mine. But he wasn't ashamed of these folks because they were looking towards him, towards his heaven. Why should you live with foreigner faith? Because it will keep you from embarrassing God. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. When my kids were younger, we had moved from California up to Canada, and we had our first winters. We had never had winters like this in California. What I used to call winter in California, I now call a mild fall. <laughs> so we got winters, and Ottawa really gets winters. Some of you are from Ottawa, you know. And so my kids loved it. They loved winters. We all did, and we'd go skate the canal, and there was a lot of good things about winter. But winter goes on for a long time. And when you get into about March, you're ready for winter to be gone. So imagine, when this actually happened, I went to my kids, they were in like grade school at this point, and said, hey kids, this March break, we're going to Myrtle Beach. Now they didn't know Myrtle Beach, they'd never heard of Myrtle Beach. We're from the West Coast, not the East Coast. And I said, here's Myrtle Beach. I've never been there either, but it's gonna be awesome. There's a big long beach and it's gonna be warm. And so I tell my kids this and I say, today I'm gonna go to work. And when I come home, I want you to be ready for Myrtle Beach. You pack your stuff, you get all ready. So I leave and go to work. Let's just imagine. And let's imagine you were one of my friends back in Ottawa days. And I'm telling you at work, I'm saying, hey, guess what we're doing tonight? After work, I'm taking my kids. We're starting down to Myrtle Beach. And you say, really? I bet your kids are pumped about that. I said, oh, yeah, they got to be pumped about that. I mean, they've never been to Myrtle Beach. It's been, it's been winter forever here. And we're ready for a little sunshine. And so let's just imagine that you came with me in the car back to my house just to see the send-off. You were just a kind friend, and you said, listen, I'll go there and help send off you and your kids, and I'll cheer and say, it's going to be so awesome. So I go, yeah, come with me. So we, we drive to my house, you and I, and we get out, and we go in, and I fling open the door, and I go, kids, time to go. And there they are sprawled in the couches, some on their little iPads, some maybe watching something on the television, and nobody's moving. And I go, wait, 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 guys, did you not, like Myrtle Beach, we're ready to go? And they look at me like, yeah, what? Did you guys pack anything? Have you gotten your stuff ready? No. Are you, are you excited about going to Myrtle Beach with Dad? Mom? I guess. Now, if you were standing alongside of me and I had told you all day how pumped they were going to be to go to Myrtle Beach, you know what I'd be feeling right now? Probably some frustration at them, but I'd also be feeling some embarrassment with you. I'd be thinking, my kids evidently don't believe what I say. My kids don't think that where I'm going to take them is that amazing. My kids didn't think it was going to be that great. I think God the Father says to us, I got something great for you. You're not home yet. Listen to what my son Jesus said, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be my, with myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus has made this promise. Here's the deal. When we live like that's no big deal, when we live like kids that are sitting in the, in the living room and could care less about Myrtle Beach, when we live that way, it kind of makes God look bad. It kind of makes it look like we don't really trust him. That we're not convinced that what he's saying is all that great anyway. But see, Abraham didn't do that. Even when he was in the earthly promised land, he was longing for the heavenly one. And therefore, God was not ashamed to be called his God. One of the desires that I have in my heart is that I would not embarrass God. That happens on many levels. I don't want to embarrass him by making a moral or theological stumble. I don't want to embarrass God. But I've realized there's another way I could embarrass him. And that is if I don't seem to believe the promise that he made of a better homeland. So I'm trying to calibrate my heart so that I anticipate what's coming. And when you, when you do that, it changes how you live on earth. And when you do that, it takes away a lot of the sting of being an exile and a stranger because you got a home that's coming and that homecoming will be glorious. So I leave you with this. Are you living with foreigner faith or have you gone native? Are you living like someone who's a stranger and an exile on earth who says, I enjoy a whole lot of it, but you know what? I'm not home. It's not home. And are you beginning to anticipate that what Jesus said will one day be your reality? And then are you getting ready for that great day by how you live today? Let's, let's pray. I'm going to just give you a moment to, to be still and silent before the Lord. I have a hunch that many of you, like me, don't want to be an embarrassment to our Heavenly Father. One of the ways that we can make sure we're not is by anticipating and believing His promise of a heavenly homeland. Would you pray and just ask Him to make that more and more a reality. I trust God will give you many, many years of fruitful service on earth. But I also pray that during all those years, you and I together will anticipate the day he takes us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, no matter how good things are on earth, I pray we would long for what's better. And no matter how bad things become on earth, I pray we would not lose hope that there is a better coming. We believe this because Jesus promised it, and he cannot lie. I pray we would live today in light of that day. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.